So we're continuing in our series, Love Walked Among Us. And what we've been saying all through this, in fact, even as, as late as last week, uh, Tyler reiterated this once again, the whole purpose through this series, the whole intention is that we would actually slow down in the reading of these gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, and we would kind of zoom in on the life and the person of, of, of Jesus. And, and Ty said this last week, we believe that God is love, we believe that Jesus is God, and Jesus is what a life of love lived out looks like. Jesus shows us, when he comes to planet Earth, he shows us what God would do and how he would react and how he would speak. And Jesus shows us what's important to God. So, so we want to, again, kind of zoom in, slow down, look at the person of Jesus and, and learn what a life of lived love is. And, and hopefully this series is reinforcing for us the ways in which we should be living out love because of the ways that we're seeing Jesus live this life of love. But if we're honest, this series is really kind of revealing a challenge, and the, and the challenge is, is this. Paul Miller in, in the book Love Walked Among Us says this. He said, the hardest part of love is not how do I love. It's wanting to love in the first place. It, it's not how do I love. It's, it's how do I have the energy to do it? Because it takes energy to love, energy that we don't often have. If you have a Bible with you, open to John chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, we're going to put the text up on the screen so that you can follow along with us. But we're going to start in John chapter 6 this morning. The, the story we're going to look at today is, is, is a major event in the life and the ministry of Jesus. As John 6 opens, Jesus is a seriously trending topic in society. He, he, he's been healing people. His teachings are radical. His reputation is soaring. And, and, and the people are just flocking to Jesus to see the show that is Jesus. And the, and the story that we're going to look at today, it, it's, it's unique in that it's the only story that's recorded in all four Gospels, and if you've, ever, if you've ever been anywhere near a Sunday school as a kid or vacation Bible school, you've heard this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We're going to start in John chapter 6, and I'm going to read uh, the first 15 verses here. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward them, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already knew what he had in mind or what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke of and said, Here is a boy with a small barley loaves and, 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 and with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said in verse 10, Have all the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they, they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and not, let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the, five, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now after this, the people saw the sign Jesus performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. And Jesus, verse 15, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Father God, we have already... Um, We've already sung the theme of what this morning is. Um, God, just our, our dependence uh, on you. God, our, our need for you. God, I, I just, again, confess, God, that um, I can only bring my weakness to, to this moment. And every time, God, you put me up here, I, I have about a million reasons in my head of why I shouldn't be. And I can only claim one reason that I'm able to be, and that's because of your grace. So God, I'm just praying for, for more of your grace to be, to be poured out in the next 30 minutes here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, would move in this room with, with power and with, with freedom, that you would speak to us, that you'd illuminate the scriptures, that you would reveal to us more about who you are, God. And Jesus, I pray that you are magnified, that you're made much of, and that our affection for you is, is stirred up. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, now most of the time when we hear this story or we envision this story, we um, imagine Jesus hosting like this big giant picnic on the prairie. And, and everybody's there, and they got their picnic blankets out, and it's just this really kind of neat moment with Jesus where he's hosting this big picnic, and all of a sudden the people are like, oh no, we don't have enough food. What are we going to do? And Jesus is like, I've got some bread. And they're like, that's not enough. And he's like, how about some more? And, and Jesus is like, Oprah, he's like, you get bread, and you get bread, and you get bread. And that's kind of how we've always pictured this story. But what is actually happening here is the beginning of a revolution. This is a critical moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And there's some really important things in the context of this story. Flip over to Mark. So you just want to go to the left. But Mark chapter 6, a parallel passage on, the, on this story. And, and we get a little bit more detail about what's happening here in this moment. Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 30. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and, and, and taught. So these sent out ones. Jesus has sent his apostles out to teach with authority and to do ministry with authority. And then, and then verse 31, because so many people were coming and they, and they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to him, okay, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to so a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. In verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Pastors are always thinking about when are we going to eat next. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? 
Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, we have five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So again, Mark's gospel tells us that the, the apostles have returned after Jesus sent them out with the authority to preach and to do ministry. And as they came back, all the crowds followed them. And now Jesus has just heard that his cousin and best friend, John the Baptist, had been killed. And in a lot of ways, it's a reminder to him of how his ministry on earth and his days on earth would end. And Jesus doesn't really want to process that pain in public. He, he wants to be in the presence of his father in private. And so he wants to take some time away from people to rest. But people see them and they run around on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And by the time Jesus gets to the other side, a massive crowd has gathered. So Jesus and his followers are looking for rest, but they show up to a huge crowd of people. Now, how would you feel if you're Jesus? All you want, you just want some alone time with your boys, and you show up and there's this massive crowd of people. Well, Mark gives us insight into how Jesus feels. He tells us that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now you might read that phrase or hear that statement, and you just kind of fly by it, and like that kind of adds to this precious moment's imagery that you already have of the story. And it doesn't really mean anything beyond that to us, but that statement is loaded with meaning. You see, all throughout the Bible and all throughout Jewish culture, a shepherd is a metaphor for a leader of the people. And Jesus looked at this crowd and he says, they have no leaders. They don't have anybody who cares for them. They don't have anybody who, who loves them. These people at the time were under the rule of Herod, and Herod is this kind of pseudo-king who murdered John the Baptist because John called out Herod because Herod married his brother's wife. Now, now Herod likes John the Baptist. He, he likes his teaching. He's intrigued by his teaching. He's actually a little bit a, a, afraid of him, but his new wife wanted John the Baptist dead. And so one night they're at this party that Herod is hosting and his stepdaughter is dancing in front of him and his boys and, and Herod is kind of drunk on power and just drunk in general. He's like, whatever it is that you want, half my kingdom is yours, which is kind of ironic because Herod's not an actual king. His dad was a king, but when his dad died in his will, he said, I don't want any of my kids to rule. So he split his kingdom into fourths. And the girl says what she wanted was John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod is insecure. He wants to be important. He builds a palace. He throws a party. He invites his nobles to the party so that he can display his power to them. And Herod in this moment has a choice. He can care about the truth. He can care about what God thinks. He can care about people. But he only cares about what makes him feel good and what makes him look important. And Jesus says, that's the, that's the ruler of these people who are out on the lawn. Mark wants us to see the shepherd a shepherd is not in a palace, but on a field. Not at a banquet, but out in the wilderness where they, where they don't have enough food. And so when Jesus is looking at the crowds and he sees them, he says, I have an answer. I have an answer to what they need. And it's me, the true king, the great shepherd. 
And where Herod's banquet ended in death, Jesus hands out the bread of life. And our passage in John tells us that the people kind of figure out what's happening here. And, and, and because at the end, they try to take Jesus by force and they want to make him their political leader. But Jesus escapes that because he isn't like the kings of this world who are after money and, and power. He doesn't come to overthrow the government. He, he comes to feed the starving. He came to fix the broken things in humanity. Jesus doesn't fight for power. He gives it to others. The kingdom that Jesus brings is totally outside this pervasive human paradigm of I go for mine and I go for what makes me comfortable and I go for what makes me powerful and I go for what makes me popular. Jesus is breaking down that system and he's ushering in this new way of living wherein when we give our lives, we actually find life because it's there that we find that the supply never ends. But Jesus doesn't want to do it alone. He when he makes the bread, he's not like Harry Potter. He's just like, bread for you, bread for you, right? He, he calls out the disciples. And, and the compassion of, of Jesus is contagious because the disciples feel for the felt needs of the people. It's getting late. They say we're out here in the wilderness. We have no food. They've seen the ministry of Jesus happen. Now they're actually starting to think like ministers, but Jesus, and so they come up with this plan to solve the, the problem. But, but Jesus has a whole other plan that is a logistical nightmare. Because scholars say that, that at this time, there's essentially between 15 to 20,000 people there. There's 5,000 men, but there's essentially between 15 to 20,000 people that are out there in the, in the field. And he says to them, Jesus says to them, you feed them. Emphasis on, on you. Just a little sidebar, nine times out of ten when you recognize a need and you say to yourself, somebody ought to do something about that. That somebody is you. And Jesus says to them, I agree that something should be done. You do it. Now, here's, the, here's just the, the thing about following Jesus. When you do, he will give you some pretty crazy ways to love people. I love Mark's account of this because it kind of gives us this little sarcasm response. Um, in the ESV, it says, should we go and take 200 denarii, which is a denarii is about a day's wage. So he said, should we take about 200 days wage? They're essentially saying, it's like, oh yeah, why didn't we think about that? We've got an extra $35,000 laying around. Why don't we just go take that? Why don't we take that? We'll go buy food for everybody. We, we totally forgot that we've had this whole stash of money that we've been carrying around with us. Hey, Jesus, remember when you sent this out and you said, you said to us, hey, don't take any money and don't take any food. Go out there. They're like, seriously, Jesus, that's what you want us to do? You see, we are okay with following Jesus and loving people until it gets too unrealistic. We're okay with it until he presents an opportunity for us to love people that is just too unrealistic. But Jesus, in this moment, he lets them feel their inadequacy. So they find this boy who brought this little Hebrew Lunchable with him, and they take it, which is a violation of like every children's ministry thing you can do, and they bring it to Jesus. And this part of the story is important because it helps us to understand what to do in those moments when Jesus asks us for our lunch. You see, feeding the 5,000, that's awesome. But not always when you're hungry and you're the one that has to give up your lunch. Because there is the sense that we have that 
if Jesus does take the little bit that I have, is there, is there going to be enough for me? And they bring the lunch, it's just five pieces of bread, two little sardines. And the, it's not much. The disciples even say, what can this little bit do when the need is great? And we have the same response a, a lot of times because, because we see the need and God says, I want you to do something about it. And, and, and we put up a little like mini protest, not because we don't care, not because we don't want to see transformation and change, not because we don't want God to use us, and not because we don't want to love. It's a genuine and honest appraisal of what we think we have. We think that God can't possibly use our smallness and do something great with it. But Jesus has this amazing response. He just says, bring it. Just bring it to me. Bring me what you have. Don't tell me about what you don't have. Just hand over the things that I've already given you. Whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever skill, whatever resource, whatever passion that he's given you, he says, just, just hand it over. Now, most of the time when this text is preached, it just always seems to kind of boil down to the simplicity of give God whatever it is that you have in your hands. Give God your lunch and watch what he does with it. And, and maybe, maybe that's really easy for the little boy in the story. Maybe it is. It's just the simple, kind of childlike o- obedience. But as I was studying the story and reading through the story this week, I had this thought. I said, like, yeah, but what if I'm that boy? What if it's my lunch? You, you see, the crowd has not yet been fed. This has not yet been a proven strategy where everybody gets to eat and there's going to be leftovers everywhere. You don't know how it's going to work out. All you know is that you brought a lunch, you had a lunch, now you don't have a lunch, and you're hungry. So when God says to you and to me, give me your lunch, or give me whatever it is that you have, our thought so often is, well, what... What are you going to do with it? You, you see, we don't like to talk about it. But if we're honest, at least I can be honest up here, we have this suspicion against God. Like, like he's just going to take our lunch from us and then split. The, the lie in the Garden of Eden from the deceiver is that God's holding out on you. And it's a lie that's kind of ingrained in us still. And when you're hungry, you hang on tightly to that lunch. And the irony is that's actually what leaves us starving. But it seems like a rational thought. If I give you my lunch, then I don't have lunch to eat. Lord, if I give to you what I have so that other people will be fed, how do I know for sure that there will still be enough for me? This is what we're confronted with when we're required to give of ourselves to love others. We'll say, Lord, I know you want to use me. I know you want me to invest financially in the kingdom. I know you want me to give my time and talents and abilities to serve others. I know that you want me to love those that are difficult to love. But right now, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I'm I'm super busy. You don't understand my schedule. I don't have enough time. Maybe when I have enough, I'll I'll give you some, but right now I'm afraid what it's going to cost me. And we cling so tightly to the bag lunch because we're afraid of what will happen once God gets his hands on it. The call of Jesus to love him with everything we have and to love others in self-sacrificing ways can feel like a calling that is way beyond our capacity. And so what we do is we, we, we take that mission and we try to downsize it. Like what's the least we can do? What's the lowest I can set the bar? 
or we just quit altogether. Jesus gives us an opportunity to love the lost, the last, the least of these, to love our enemies and to love those that think and behave differently than us. And when he does, we're, we're kind of checking our pockets and we're like, yeah, but I only, I only got five. I only got five pieces of bread here. And some of you, you're listening to the sermons in this series and, and, and you're like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to love others, but I'm wounded. I, I'm broken. I'm scared. I'm alone. I'm small. I can't do that. But Jesus puts them in this moment where they feel helpless and inadequate because when they are in that place and when you or I are in that place, we see what Jesus can do. He takes the food, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he distributes it and multiplies it so that there are 12 baskets left over. That's a miracle. Some people have heard the story and they're like, well, it's not really kind of, it's not really a miracle. It's not really what happened. What, what happened was when the boy gave his lunch, everybody else was so moved with compassion. They're like, ah, okay, I guess I'll give my lunch too. And that's kind of how everybody got fed. They just started kind of bringing out their lunch. You don't get 12 baskets left over for that. It, this, is, this is a miracle. And if you got a really hard time believing that Jesus does miracles, later in the Passion, he walks on water. So just... Get over it. He does, Jesus does miracles. This is what he does. The progression here, I think, is really important. In, in, in Mark 6, verse, verse 41, listen again to, to what happens there. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. It's blessed. It's broken. And then it's given. Now, now there's nothing extraordinary about the, the loaves and the, and the fishes. Just as Jesus blesses something that's common and ordinary and small. And after he blesses it, he breaks it. And this is what God always does when we give him what we have. And at least at first, that's not a very comforting thought. What is so hard about that for us is that we have the assumption that in, in order for God to use us, we have to be whole, we have to be bulletproof, but the reality is that God only uses broken things. He only uses broken things and broken people. You cannot feed the crowds, you cannot be of use to the world until you allow God to break you. And the breaking that feels like it's going to kill you is actually making you more useful to bless other people because you could not minister to them as well if you were strong. You couldn't love them as well if you were feeling confident in your own strengths. This, this brokenness is what causes us to hand everything over to God. And if I don't hand it over, ain't nothing going to happen. A lot of us, we want to be used by God to serve and to love others, but we don't want to be broken first. And, and it makes sense at the time. It doesn't make sense at the time, but it's the mercy of God who wants you to be fully alive in him and know how deeply that you are loved by him. Jesus breaks it before he distributes. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the crowds. You see, Jesus does the breaking, but you are the one that gives to others what God has given to you. This really is the, is the beauty and the brilliance of love. You are the one who gets broken, but you are also the one who is giving. You, you see, a life of loving others like Jesus is, is not magic. You can't just sit and pray, God, please help all the poor and all the hurting people in the world. 
and then stream Netflix for hours and hours and just wait for it to happen. It doesn't work like that. The supernatural thing happens when God breaks you and then begins to distribute. That's the tension in this story. God is the one who will do the miracle, but you have to be willing to give him what you have. And then you have to be willing to give to others what God has given you. Jesus means it when he says, you feed them. Because he is the one that is going to give them the resources to be able to care for the people. And and we've heard this before, and and we want to believe that it's true. But if, if God tells you to do a thing, he will give you the resources to get it done. He will multiply the little bit that you have so then it becomes useful to love others. You see, when God gives you an opportunity to love others, it's not just about what he wants you to give to them. It's about what he wants to give to you and what he wants to do in you, what he wants to do for you. We come to Jesus broken and empty and we hand him the little that we have and we watch him do the work. When I was a kid, there was this cartoon called Captain Planet. I think we got a picture of it if you're not familiar with Captain Planet. So um, last week, Tyler puts up this really cool impressionist picture uh, of a crowd. And with me, you get Captain Planet. So that's kind of the disparity of intelligence that we're dealing with here. But um, so in Captain Planet, um, he had these kids that all had these magic rings. They're the planeteers. And each ring represents uh, a different kind of elemental power. So in every episode, in every episode, there's a, a problem, of course. And the kids, all the planeteers, they, they try to solve the problem. And they're all trying to use their little rings and their little bit of you know, just power that they have. And they're trying to kind of fix it. And uh, they're like, oh, no, we can't. What should we do? What should we do? Well, you should do what you do every week. They put their rings together and they summon Captain Planet. And Captain Captain Planet has all the power of all the rings together, and Captain Planet comes in, and he's the one who actually solves the problem. It's a, it's a very annoying cartoon, because you're, you're like, this is not called the Kids with Rings show, it's called Captain Planet. So every week, just start off, just say, hey guys, it's three seconds into the show, we're going to call Captain Planet, because every week, we try to fix it on our own, and we can't do it. Call Captain Planet, he'll fix it. You say... You don't know how difficult it is to love. You don't know how hard it is to give. You don't know how hard it is to to serve. Call him. Jesus, not Captain Planet. (laughs) Call him. You are small. Your power is insufficient. The need is God-sized. Call him. Again, Paul Miller says this, love is difficult. Jesus tells us to love not only our kids, but also those who are beat up, lying by the side of the road, and even our enemies. How is this possible? Go to God empty, tell him your needs, your inability to love. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus shows us not only how to love, but also how to get the power to love. The one who commands love offers the power to love. In our church, there is story after story of how God provided in miraculous and extraordinary ways when people move towards difficult situations and difficult people in love. Everything from marriages being reconciled to orphans who find forever families. 
And as a follower of Jesus, your mission is not to solve everything. It's to seek first him and his kingdom. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And, he, and he, Jesus says in that passage, how much more will your father in heaven, who loves you, give you his spirit? How much more will he give you his presence? How much more will he give you his power? In in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, if you're a parent in in the room, would you just give your child over to be murdered? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all. Paul says, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And, and, and this is not that you need to barter with God. Like, okay, God, I'll hand over my lunch. I'll give you my money I'll, if you heal my sickness. I'll, I'll serve others if you pay all my bills. And, and we think if I prove to God that I'm serious about making a sacrifice, that he'll bless me. But it's not about proving that you're super serious. He just wants your hands to be pried open so that he can fill them with things that are better. He, he wants you to let go of some things so that he can give you something better. We cling to the bag lunch, but there are 12 baskets left over. There are more in the leftovers than there was in the lunch to begin with. Do you see who God is? When you're holding on to the bag lunch, you're missing the opportunity to get basket from him. Whatever the Lord is asking you to give him so that you can love others, not only does he want to bless others, but he wants to bless you. That's the grace of God. Now, this is not, hey, if you give uh, to God, he's going to make you rich. I don't believe that. We don't believe that here. But I do believe that he takes care of us and he provides for what we need. The fear that we have that, we have that God's just going to take for us and abandon us is a lie because he's a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. We're going to close with this. The the thing about this miracle, and I'm struck with this week, is that it was unnecessary. They weren't dying. This isn't like Jairus' daughter, like, come quick, Lord, she's dying. You can go days without food. Jesus knows that. He did that. The disciples' idea would have worked fine. Send everybody away. They go buy their own food. Town gets a little bit of money. Everybody gets to eat. All good. That would have worked perfectly fine. But instead, Jesus creates this crisis. He creates this drama. He says to them, you feed them. They say, we can't. What are we supposed to do? Why does he do that? This is why. Because he wants to show them, and I believe he wants to show us, how small they are, how small we are, and how big he is. He wants them to see how much they need him to love others. This miracle might not have been necessary for their physical need. This this miracle wasn't necessary for their stomachs, but it was deeply necessary for their souls. The reason that Jesus brings people into your life for you to love in extraordinary ways is so that you would trust in the one who can feed thousands, that he can and will sustain you as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for um, the instruction. God, I thank you for the challenge. 
God, I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for the truth that we see in it. That God, you are able to do immeasurably more. And and God, that in um, our weakness, in our smallness, in our inability, in our lack of resources, God, you are magnified. And your ability and your power and your resources, God, are on display for the good of the world and the glory of your name. And so, God, I pray that we would seek you as the source of power in loving others. And God, that we would increasingly be a people who are confessing our desperate need for you. And God, that we would be a people that are fully and totally dependent and relying upon you for all things. God, forgive us for the moments where we we try to do everything in our own power, where we lean on our own understanding. God, make us a people who seek first you and your kingdom. Jesus, I pray these things in your name.